Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. United Armies of the Spoilerverse, welcome back. Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Lila Sturgis, isn't it? It is. And Melissa got to sit down and chat with Lila about Lumberjanes, Girl Haven, and a lot of more fun stuff. And just judging on Melissa's reaction after the interview was done and she messaged our group yeah. about how much fun it was, I have a feeling you're in for a treat. <laughs> That's awesome. Melissa has gotten better and better and better and just more relaxed with talking with people. Oh, yeah. She's doing amazing. And uh, she's, I mean, people she talks to, she's having a great time and they're, uh, you know, they seem to be very receptive and it's awesome. And I love it. I yep. love hearing it. Yep. Yep. We're very lucky to have her on. Well, let's sit back and listen to Melissa talk with Lila in their own words. joined by Eisner-nominated, PRISM award-winning comic book writer, Lila Sturges. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really, really well. Getting ready for Christmas. All the presents are purchased. Nice. I think I'm good. Good. You're all prepared. (laughs) That's right. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's get started. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. I've been really excited to talk to you. I'm a big fan. So thank you for being here. And I, yeah, I just want to start with, you know, early on in your career, you were one of the founders of Clockwork Storybook. How did that experience help, you know, shape you as a writer? Wow. I haven't heard those words in a while. <laughs> your, your homework. Well, Clockwork Storybook was a really, really fascinating thing. And everyone in it sort of went on to do uh, great things. It was started by Bill Billingham at a time where he wasn't really doing much in comics and he wanted to start a writing group of, of prose writers. Mm. Um, we were all sort of people who knew each other through the comic book shop here in Austin. And so there were four of us and we started writing and Bill was one, obviously. And Chris Robertson was another one. Mm-hmm. And I was one of them, obviously. And uh, a fellow by the name of Mark Finn was the fourth one. And he's gone on to be a, a renowned Robert E. Howard scholar, among many other things. Oh, wow. So it was a fruitful little bunch, but yeah. it, it definitely gave me a taste for writing professionally and it sort of taught me a lot about writing in general. We met every week uh, for several hours, every Wednesday, and we had to bring something to read every week. And so it sort of spurred us to always be writing, always be critiquing, um, always talking about writing. And that went on for several years. So I think we all learned an absolute ton during that time. 
Nice. And and during around that time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were writing Midwinter, and which is a novel, a prose novel that you wrote mm-hmm. with also a sequel, The Office of Shadow. How does how does that writing process differ from when you're writing comics? It's so different. And you know, I just started writing a novel recently, sort of bringing back that sort of uh, prose way of thinking. I think mm-hmm. it, for me, it's mostly in terms of of space and structure. Because when you're writing prose, there's no end of the page, there's no end of the comic, there's no, there are really no limitations as to how wordy you can be, except the limits of your own imagination. So whereas when with comics, you're always thinking about, you know, how much room do I have? How, where is this landing on the page? Is there a page turn? How long until the end of the issue? There's so Mm -hmm. much structure in comics that is because comics is so much about the way in which it's presented visually, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Whereas prose, you can you can read a novel in a book, you can, you know, write it on a scroll of butcher paper. It doesn't really matter. It's the words are the same. But you change the dimensions of a comic and everything changes, right? Yeah. So that's a big difference. Also, I always have to complain when I when I start writing prose again. It's like, oh God, now I have to describe stuff <laughs> to read <laughs> yep. I don't have to do that and I can just tell an artist like there's this thing and there's that thing and that guy over there and he's there and it doesn't have to be pretty it's I want it to be functional the artist you know they don't like it when you get too flowery in your panel descriptions so um yeah so that is that is definitely a thing but I'm I'm really enjoying the book that I'm writing now and I, I could just sort of write it at my own pace which is nice because no one's really expecting it oh good yeah I was actually going to ask you if you're going to write any more uh, prose novels. So what's mm-hmm. like the timeline on that? Do you think, do you have a goal in mind of when you want to finish it by? I do. I'm hoping to finish it by the end of February. It's a, it is a YA novel and those are typically a little shorter than, mm-hmm. you know, adult fiction. So hopefully by the end of February, I'll have it done. And then my agent can read it and tell me everything that's wrong with it. And I can <laughs> rewrite it and do it again. <laughs> so we'll see do what the, happens. <laughs> do the revisions and do like nine that's drafts. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I'd also, I know you've written for Marvel, DC, it's Imprint mm-hmm. Vertigo, just to name a few, mm-hmm. in in what is still a very straight white male you know, dominated industry. Did you, yes. what were some of the challenges you faced during and after your transition? Well, I tricked them, didn't I? I um... <laughs> They were like, here's another straight cis white man. Welcome to the club. Come on in. And I was like, ha. Um, <laughs> actually, girl, it was, it was interesting. You know, there is in comics and there certainly was back then. I guess I can say back then now. It's been like 15 years. Since oh, I yeah. Started in comics. <laughs> um, things were more bro-ish. And I, I remember one time talking to an editor of mine. And I said, why, you know, why don't you hire more? female writers mm-hmm. and he said I just don't know I don't know any I don't know where to find them and I was like that's you could like <laughs> women are like half of people right you know I, I bet you could find one if you really tried yeah. but it was a different headspace that that so many people were in and I, I think that the shame of it was that when you are perceived as male in that culture the so much of the bad stuff that's happening is like, you don't know that it's there and you don't really care either. Cause there's, there's no, <clears throat> it doesn't impinge on you anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? And it wasn't until after I transitioned, I started talking to women who had been there about their experiences and what they were like, that I was like sort of shocked and horrified because, you know, women, 
we, we talk about these experiences with each other, but it's not like, you know, until sort of the Me Too thing happened, people weren't going around saying, hey, let me tell you about the horrible stuff that this guy is doing to me, like on the, you know, on the street corner, right? And so that sort of bro culture is kind of like, well, everything's great. Everything's fine. No one's complaining. That's the, the insularity of it is amazing in that regard. Yeah. Right. Like you don't know, you don't want to know, you don't care. Yeah. Turn the other cheek. Um, yeah. So for me in that world, you know, I always felt like obviously kind of like an imposter and I always felt like I didn't really belong. And I had this sort of like feeling of like, oh God, what if they find out? Um, which there was like no way they were going to find out anything about me. I didn't even really know what was going on with me in those days, you know, like I just knew that there was something different. I'm not like the other boys, you know? Right. Um, and um, <laughs> it took me kind of a while to, to gel. I was like, oh, it's because I'm not a boy at all, a woman. And so, um, yeah, night and day in terms of how I experienced the industry, mm-hmm. whether, you know, when presenting as a man and sort of, doing, you know, DCU superhero comic punch em ups, you know, and, mm-hmm. and being perceived as a woman and writing like lumberjanes, you know, right. like, those are two very different worlds. They do not really overlap. <laughs> and that's kind of beautiful. Like comics, there's so much in comics. Now there are different worlds in comics. It's not all one big plop, you know, yeah. it's like it used to be, you had the big two and kind of like the, the secondary publishers. And then you'd have like indie comics way out there somewhere. You, you know what I mean? Right. And, yeah. Um, <clears throat> And now it's just like, there's just comics everywhere. And who can even keep track of it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so the many. are just more like the two. Like, I don't know that they're even the biggest. Like, Raina Telgemeier is the, the most successful comic book creator by a million, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, well, I think they're like the two most iconic. But yeah, I think you sure. might be right. They're not, they might not be the biggest two anymore with all of these new up and coming you know, creators and indie comics that, you know, might not be indie for long if they keep being as successful as they are. <laughs> That's right. Right. Which is not to say that I don't have a lot of love for uh, DC and Marvel. I do love them both for a very long time. So yeah. I don't want people to be like, she hates Marvel and DC. No, no. <laughs> yeah. You appreciate it for what it was and, and how it, you know, helped you in your career. But yeah, at the same time, you're looking to the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've also spoken openly about challenges you faced as a mom versus being a dad when you were perceived as male. Do you think that perspective has influenced your writing at all? Oh my gosh. Wow. You've really done your homework. I like, did. Yeah. <laughs> most, most, most people when, you know, when they interview you, they're like, so you wrote a book or something. Yeah. And, uh, yes. Well, it's a very different, it's a very different relationship, isn't it? I guess, you know, when I was, pre-transition I was a much more closed off person in general and I had trouble relating to just about everyone you know so many of the people that I've talked to were like you know before you transitioned like you seemed like a nice person but you seemed really standoffish and I didn't really know how to talk to you Mm. and I wasn't I was just really uncomfortable with myself and um, that extended to my parenting as well and when I transitioned first of all both of my daughters were amazing uh Mm. when I transitioned and they were just completely accepting and it was weird for them. It was weird for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. but they were great. And, you know, and they think of me as one, one of their moms and, and I certainly think of myself as a mom and it is, it is a little different. It's more, especially cause I have girls, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there is that sort of <clears throat> woman, woman bond in a way. I don't know. It's difficult yeah. to generalize because every parenting relationship is, is vastly different. 
But I think I, in all of those ways, it's, it's made my relationships more, it's given them more depth and okay. more nuance. And so I definitely bring that to my writing. I think in terms of the relationships that I want to see on the page, I want to focus on relationships that have more depth and, and nuance for sure. Yeah. And you, and you end up doing that really well with Lumberjanes. Yeah. I would, I'd love to know, how did you get involved in that series? It's funny. I was, um, out of the blue, I got a call from uh, an editor <clears throat> at Boom, and they were doing a, a graphic novel adaptation of The Magicians. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why they called me. I don't think I was their first choice, but they did call me. <laughs> and, and I said, yes, I would love to do that. I'd love to work with Love Grossman. And I started writing the script. And I think, like, I think they were kind of surprised at how good it was. They were like, <laughs> wow, we weren't expecting it to be this good. And I'm like, well, You're you like, know, Thanks. I, I could take that as a kind of an insult, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, so it was, the script was sort of going around the, the boom offices and Janine Schaefer, who had taken over the, the Lumberjanes editorial duties or, or this portion of it anyway, was looking for someone to do a Lumberjanes graphic novel. And again, I was not the first choice. <laughs> I think the, the person they had like quit or couldn't do it in time or something. And, you know, at that point I was like, I don't care, I'll do it. And I was, you know, I was super excited because I loved Lumberjanes already as a reader. Mm-hmm. And I loved that it was uh, very queer friendly and queer focused. And I loved that it had a trans girl character in it. So I was, I jumped at the chance to write it and I got to write three really fun graphic novels. Yeah. And the last one just came out a couple months ago. True Colors, right? That's, and Mm -hmm. that completes the trilogy that started with Infernal Compass. Okay. Without Mm -hmm. giving too much away, what made you decide to take Ripley's story arc in the direction that you went with? What was it? I think, you know, there are a couple of reasons. One is that each of the three books focused on two of the main characters, right? So the first one was Mal and Molly and their relationship, which was very sweet and fun. And the second one was Joe and April and that's sort of their friendship. And then the third book that sort of left Jen and Ripley, I was trying to think, well, what can I do with Jen and Ripley? Like what would be interesting, you know, and mm-hmm. excuse me, the, the thing that sort of piqued my interest was that Ripley has always been this kind of nutty person, you know, it's very much herself, very, you know, happy to be different, happy to be kind of out there and wacky. And she's, you know, she's the youngest of the group. And so the expectations on her are a little different. And and so I thought, well, what if Ripley suddenly started to become self-aware in that way that we become self-aware in middle school? Like, oh, wait, like, how does my behavior mm-hmm. actually affect the opinions of people around me? You know, and that was yeah. sort of a, a watershed thing for me being, being a kid. I was a very wacky kid. And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I was in middle school and everything was different. And it's very confusing and there were hormones and feelings and, and I didn't, but I never, I just kept being that wacky kid. Right. And then at some point I realized like, oh, everyone thinks I'm really weird. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of what I projected onto Ripley. It was like this, this feeling like, oh God, everyone thinks I'm weird. What do I do? You know? And oh, so I yeah. thought it would be. I thought it'd be funny to sort of, you know, have her meet this, you know, so often there's like a helpful animal character, you know, in a story sort of Mm -hmm. shows you the way. I thought it'd be funny to have a a helpful animal character who was absolutely wrong and just gave the completely wrong message. (laughs) 
And that's what Z the Zebracorn is. He he thinks that fitting in is super great and you should not be yourself. And um, <laughs> God, <laughs> it, it's just such a hoot to write. And of course, Claudia, aka Poulter Inc., does such a good job drawing those stories. It was, it was such a treat. Yeah. Um, every bit of that. It did. Because it sounds so cheesy, but writing lemonades it never felt like work. It was always just like it was just like having so much fun. That's you awesome. know, yeah. And, like uh, I, I think that's how it should it. be. Like you should be loving every minute of you know what you're doing and not being like, oh, this is work or this is a chore. You know, yeah, ideally, right? Yeah, I mean that's the dream anyway, right? <laughs> that is the dream. Yes. Yeah. Well, and when you're prepping, you know, to write Lumberjanes, the Lumberjane story. Do you like, do you do a ton of like, research on previous, you know, incarnations of it? Or do you do a ton of, ton of like outlining? I, I have sort of this two-prong approach, right? So what I do is, and this is with anything, anything I've ever written, okay. um, is that I'll do a bunch of research, right? Like with Lumberjanes, I read all the existing issues. So I knew sort of like what was canon and what the relationships and what the voices were like. Mm-hmm. And I did a bunch of that. So I like had it like in my head, you know, so like I could imagine scenes and this is, this is what I always have to choose. Like I have to get it to where I can just imagine conversations in my head between the characters and like, what would she say? What would she say? You know, yeah. Um, how does that work? Right. And then I sit down and I write a very detailed outline and I actually, it's so ridiculous. I do it as an Excel spreadsheet and there oh are these columns and things. <laughs> nice. And I spent, a, I spent a lot of time making this stupid spreadsheet right and then once it's all done you know I show it to my editor and they're like okay that's great we've got changes whatever it gets approved and then I start writing (laughs) and the minute I start writing completely forget the spreadsheet is there and I just write whatever but it's always like it's close enough to (laughs) to what was in the spreadsheet that that no one ever complains right but yeah so like there's the part of me that is like researcher you know librarian you know with the glasses and the hair and a little bun and then once I start writing the the script I'm like pulling off the hairband and like (laughs) ripping off my glasses and like and I just write just whatever pops into my head nice it's a messy strategy but it works for me yeah if it works then hey (laughs) Mm -hmm. do you think there are uh, like challenges in writing in a already established universe versus like writing your own material Oh my gosh, this is, so this is a question I've been asked like a million times. Okay. Um, and I was trying to try find a way to like answer it like in a different way. That's <laughs> How okay. do I answer yeah. this question in, <laughs> in, in a different way? Um, which I guess it's like, it's an obvious, like it's an, uh, quite, like it's a question, like how is that different? Right. Um, I, I mean, and, and obviously the, the, the main difference is that like when you're writing someone else's stuff, they have rules, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. you can't break them. Like writing superhero comics, especially is oh it was such a pain in the ass to be honest because <laughs> you can't it's like at the level I was at writing superhero comics you know like writing Blue Beetle and stuff right like, you could only do so much yeah it, uh, a lot of times had to be kind of like a sitcom where it's like the you know the 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 order of the universe has to be restored at the end of 22 minutes right you can't <laughs> like and so it was always like what kind of story can I tell where you know the status quo never changes it's always yeah, the, predictable the question and in, in that sense and you know the nice thing about doing these lumberjanes books was that we we wanted to tell slightly more mature stories than what mm-hmm. were being told in the comics a little more nuanced and so sort of the the premise is that you know the, the girls are starting to mature a little bit as they've been in in camp and so they're having these slightly more mature thoughts and feelings so it felt like they were growing 
mm-hmm. as I was writing them. And so I guess it, it kind of veers away from the, you know, <laughs> not that anyone cares about an established canon of the Lumberjanes universe, but, uh, but maybe in, in that regard. Yeah. And then of course, you know, when I'm, I'm writing my own things, you know, the sky's the limit and I could do literally whatever I want, which is right. cool Same and also yeah. scary because you have to come up with everything. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. It's like, you don't have this whole well of canon to delve into. It's like, oh, I have to make it all up yeah. myself. <laughs> That's a lot. It seems like a lot of work, but I, I do enjoy it. And I, I've got, I have a graphic novel that is, is being drawn right now. It's called The Science of Ghosts. Yes. Uh, and it's coming out from oh. Legendary next year. Very excited. Um, and thinking about hopefully doing a sequel to that book and thinking okay. about like, Oh, well now it's like I'm writing and there is a canon because there's this whole first graphic novel, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like, how can I take what's been established and expand, you know? So it's kind of like, like a little of each. Awesome. Yeah. No, I'm excited mm-hmm. about, yeah. The science of ghosts. It's coming out in the fall of next year. And what can you, I was going to actually ask you if there was going to be more than one mm-hmm. book. So you answered that question. That's awesome that you're possibly going to be doing a sequel to it. What we can hope. you tell us about, you know, for our listeners about the premise of that story? The science of ghosts is it's based on an idea that I had like five years ago. It's like I, I was, I was reading about forensic psychology, like you do. Okay. And, um, and I've always been real interested in ghosts. And so I was like, what if you had a forensic psychologist, but for ghosts? And that would be a forensic parapsychologist. Hmm. And just that title, forensic parapsychologist, I just loved it so much. And so I was like, oh, well, what if you had someone who was a forensic parapsychologist and they studied ghost behavior and they analyzed the behavior of ghosts and used it to solve crimes? Like, that would be really cool. And then I, I thought all of that before, like everything became like abolish the police, you know, and so You're like, like, oh, like, kind of like, wait, hmm. okay. So police, maybe not so good. What if, so, yeah. So she's not a cop just in case anyone is concerned. She's not a cop. She used to work for the cops. She, she quit. She's a trans woman, by the way. Okay. And that, that kind of comes into it a a little bit it's not about her being a trans woman it's about her being a forensic parapsychologist and a loving girlfriend among other things and but the fact that she is trans is a thing in the world you know mm-hmm. like you when you're trans and probably any other marginalized identity you know you don't ever get to stop being that yeah you know and certainly I don't get to stop being trans and so my my character joy never does either and so it affects her you know it sort of affects her sort of like here and there in her daily life. And it also has, uh, it informs what she does for her career on this sort of like deep but subtle level. Okay. Um, but it is not about her being trans, you know? And I, I think it's important that we have stories where, you know, the trans person, the queer person, the gay person, you know, it's not about them having that identity, right? Right. As I, I said, in a, you know, on some other like on a panel, I think I said, you know, we don't just sit around all day having traumas, like we do other stuff. Right. And, and so I wanted to focus on the other stuff and not the traumas. When you, when you look at, you know, a show like Shit's Creek, for example, and they have a brilliant way of storytelling to where it doesn't, like you just said, like take, put the focus on this like trauma, you know, of being part of the LGBTQ community. It's just, they, they're having their life and they have their things that are happening. And yeah, I think it's important that more of those types of stories get told as well. 
you know, on top of. Yeah. Can we just spend the rest of the interview talking about Schitt's Creek? Absolutely. <laughs> For me. Absolutely. It's like my, literally my favorite show. Yeah. Love <laughs> um, that journey for us. Oh my God. Yes. And I'm so <laughs> happy that they won all those awards. I was like literally screaming. Me too. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my favorite things. And I'm, I'm watching it. My girlfriend has not watched it. And so right. I'm watching it with her. Uh, as she watched it the first time. And so every episode I'm like, oh, 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 this is such a good episode. This is such a good episode. <laughs> but it's like every episode I'm doing right. this. She's like, that's not helpful. Who do you think is your favorite character on that show? Oh, David. David, I yeah. just, David is so great. And I, I think in some ways I'm a little David-y. Nice. And my girlfriend is Patrick-y. Like okay. We kind of have that. We're like, like, I'm kind of a brat and she's like sort of the grown up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, but it works, you know, it works. And that's what, that's what matters. And we yeah. love each other. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I, f- I feel like I can't yeah. send a text or post anything now without putting like a David meme in, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like, there's so many to choose from that. I'm like, oh, this ex- every mood I have David has, yeah. David has <laughs> expressed that mood. Yes. Totally. I know I'm sad it's over. I wish they would continue it in some way in the future but yeah yeah well uh, I want to talk about another book that you've you've written that's out now the magician's new class Mm -hmm. so can you expand a little bit about about what kind of like inspired the story and the concept of hedge magic which I find really cool and interesting yes so the magician's new class it, it came out of I wrote a book called the magician's Alice's story which boom had Love Grossman loves comics, the author of the Magicians books, mm-hmm. and he really wanted to see a comic book adaptation of the Magicians. And when they they brought me in, I said, "Yes, I would love to do that, but I'm not going to do a straight ahead adaptation. I'm going to tell the story from the point of view of Alice, mm-hmm. one of the other main main characters, because I didn't just want to do a straight up adaptation. That just didn't seem fun to me." Mm-hmm. And so they were like, yeah, okay, I guess that could be good. And then it turned out to be like, it worked out really well. And everyone was really happy. So they were like, we should do more Magicians comics. And I said, yes, that sounds great because I love this world. Mm -hmm. um, And I love getting paid to write comics. And that's all good. So I, the, the take there was that if you look at the the magician's books, it's kind of like, it's sort of comes from this place of kind of privilege. Right. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is deliberate on love's part but it's it's for the most part is it's pretty white it's pretty straight like there's a gay you know it's like you gotta have a gay in, these, <laughs> in this day and age right um, right <laughs> but so i was like well you know and and then, and then in the second book i think he talks about it in the first book too there's this whole concept of hedge magic which is like these people who they don't get to go to the fancy school they kind of have to learn magic by themselves sort of like in the you know, in the gutters, you know, right like, and, on the streets, <laughs> the, the old fashioned way, you know, I picked it up in the gutters. But, um, <laughs> and I thought, well, that's really fascinating. And then I thought, well, what would it take to, to make those two worlds collide? What would that be like? Yeah. And I, I, I like the whole idea of like, like classes, the clash of like different, like social classes and, and sort of like, there's a, a, a queer element in there that's pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just wanted to put those two groups together and sort of like see what would happen. And if there were, and there was lots of yummy conflict. So we, mm. we went with that. Nice. And I, I think that, you know, what I wanted to do for that mini series was I wanted to have just the craziest <laughs> final page for every issue. 
Okay. Like to be like, what just happened? And I wanted that to be <laughs> on every single issue and I did it. And that was like my favorite thing. Oh, awesome. It's like my- every, every time you, you got to the last page, you're like, okay, I know what's going on. No, I do not know what's going on. Oh here. my God. Um, so they, they end in like major cliffhangers. <laughs> Everyone and this is like an enormous cliffhanger. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was very, very happy about that. And now it's out in trade, so you don't have to wait a month like mm-hmm. like people who read the series to find out what happened. You could just turn the page and it's right there. Yeah, I just got it and I, I just started reading it. And so I'm really excited to see what happens because I find that like the you know, the outsiders, so to speak, that come in and and learn from, you know, the gutter. I feel like and you know, I'm don't give me any spoilers, but <laughs> even though we're spoiling country, <laughs> I feel like they're gonna almost be like more powerful for some reason because I think it's more, you know, they had to like learn in a grittier environment and they're not mm-hmm. as polished as you know, these like fancy privileged students. So that's what I'm predicting. <laughs> yeah, well, I you know, I think you're you're not not right. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I think the thing is the like the my editors, you know, God bless them, they were like, you know, and so we're going to we're going to show how they like, they learn to work together to solve their problems and, and get along. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because <laughs> That's not real life. Like that's not reality. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause they made me, but like my, I think that the end of the story definitely sort of shows where I'm, what I'm thinking. And okay. I wish that we could do more. I don't know. Like we, we finished the first arc and then the pandemic happened Mm -hmm. and then I never heard another word about it so like I people ask me like is there going to be more new class and I'm like I don't know I don't I just work here I was totally gonna ask you that (laughs) I was like I would love to do more if someone at boom is listening to this and like hey gosh that's a comic book we put out we should totally do more of that then yes that would be good yeah and for listeners listening you know fans of of the book like yeah if you want more Everybody bombard, boom. No. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Start a letter writing. Go after their Twitter. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. When, well, I want to talk about another comic book. You, you're very busy. Another comic book you have coming out in February is Girl Haven. Yes, Girl Haven. Yeah. And I, I read a little bit about what, what that's going to be. But can you tell our listeners mm-hmm. what it's about? And just from what I've read in some of the commentary, how cathartic was that for you to write? Um, okay, great question. I what the story is about is a kid named Ash who has uh, assigned male at birth and raised as a boy. Mm-hmm. So we're going to use he/him pronouns for him. Okay. He sort of joins this pride club at school, which is like their GSA in middle school, like the Gay Straight Alliance or whatever they call it now. Mm-hmm. And mainly because he's kind of infatuated with this girl that he wants to meet, so he befriends these three really cool girls who are in the pride club. And I'm pausing because like <laughs> there, there are two roads I can go down now. There's like the long, like very descriptive road and there's like a shorter road and I'm trying to decide which one I want to take. Yeah, um, I'm good with you. I'll, I'll sort of like <laughs> split the difference. So okay. basically what we find out is that Ash's mother has created this very elaborate fantasy world in the shed in her backyard over the course of her entire life. And Ash wants to show this to his new friends and that there's novels and stories and paintings and costumes and all this stuff. 
And there's one of the things in the shed is a spell book that will take you to the land of Coratris, mm -hmm. which is where all these stories are set. And Coratris is, it literally means in Greece, the place of girls. And oh, wow. it is a girls only magical land. Uh, where boys are not allowed. And so one of the girls reads the magic spell to take you to the land of Coratris and everything goes dark. And when the lights come up again, they are in Coratris, this magical fantasy world just for girls. And now Ash, who has been raised as a boy, is wondering what is Ash doing here? <laughs> and there's a little more to it than that. This is not some kind of like forced feminization pick. <laughs> Um, we learn has uh, been having some some thoughts and feelings about gender that that he doesn't understand, and and this experience is sort of bringing that to a head. But before any of that can happen, they're captured by some warrior bunnies, and they're sent off on a quest because there has to be a quest. Of course, uh, fantasy story, and Ash is hoping that maybe Ash can find Ash's mother in this fantasy land who has gone missing. So there's a lot happening. It's very fun. Yeah. It's very thrilling. It is a, a it, it is aimed at middle school kids. And I wanted to write a book that middle school kids would really like because it's a book that I wish had existed when I was in middle school. Yeah. Because all of the confusing thoughts and feelings that Ash is having at the beginning of the story are the thoughts and feelings that I was having when I was 12. But I did not have a magical land or even a book to help me through that period. I didn't know what was going on with me. I was just confused and scared and, and felt very alone. Mm. And so what my hope is with this book is that someone could read it and see themselves in the book and come to know themselves a little better. And I, I think the world is such a, a much better place for transgender kids now. Mm -hmm. Spoiler, um, <laughs> Ash, is, Ash is transgender. You probably saw that kind of- Kind of figured, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so funny, like the, the, the copy is like very coy about it. Yeah, well, I think we all see where this is going. Yeah. But <laughs> um, I just, I wanted to create this world where, you know, first of all, you could be open about these feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And Ash can be open about these feelings with his friends, especially Eleanor, who is sort of like the sweet sounding board character. And and mm -hmm. hear the things that that you would need to hear, you know, like, it's okay to be who you are. And people who love you will accept you for who you are. And that's so important. Mm -hmm. And I think there's still not enough of it. And I, I just agree. really wanted to create a book for kids that so they could have that experience that even if they're not a transgender girl themselves, that they could sort of read into whoever I am, mm -hmm. whatever my thing is, whatever my situation is, that yeah, people who love me will accept me and people and and will encourage me to be myself. And one of the things that is repeated in the book is love is stronger than fear. And that's kind of the message that I want people to take away is that however scared you are about who you are, or who you might be like love is more powerful than that. I love that. That's such a beautiful message. And I think yeah. also just for even for kids that, you know, you know, do feel you know, like, oh, I know myself, you know, I'm, I, I identify as this or whatever, but just to read, to, to understand that maybe other people don't, and then maybe kids would be kinder to each other if they could understand it, you know, in a story sense. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Thank I you. never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, open the minds of people. Totally, that, totally well, stealing that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, that, that is my intent all along. Yeah. Like, good. Yeah. <laughs> 
with each openness and understanding. <laughs> well, and I also think it would be a great story to have in schools. I mean, I, I you know, I I don't know what that process is like to to get it into like an educational type system if you have to submit or they request or whatever. But yeah, that's the dream. Well, it's definitely being marketed that way, and which is very exciting. And cool. one of the one of the really really cool things that that Oni Lionforge has done is they created like a study guide for it. And they sent it to me last week and it was so cool because it was like, you know, like for book groups and stuff. Yeah. yeah and it was awesome. like, I, I always wanted one of those for one of my books. And it was like, so cool to see like, you know, and the, you know, the Eleanor says love is stronger than fear. What does that mean to you? And I was like, yeah, what does that mean to you? I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that would be great. Would you see yourself, you know, doing like book club, you know, presentations and, and speaking, you know, to, to schools and things like that? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I would love to do that. I, I did when the, the first Lumberjanes book came out, I did a, a little book tour. Oh, cool. Um, and I spoke at a couple of schools and a couple of bookstores. And, and I had so much fun talking to the middle schoolers at the school in San Francisco. It was an absolute blast. That's so great. I would, yeah, I, I love kids. I think they're great. So it would be a huge thrill. Yeah. And they have no filter either. They just sort of you know, ask that's so different than when an adult, you know, is asking you a question that's so thought out or whatever versus, you know, a kid who's just like, this is what's in my mind and I'm going to ask it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, you know, when I went on this book tour, I thought, well, you know, what are these kids going to make of me this transgender woman? Right. Yeah. So never came up, never came up, never came up. Finally, at the end of one of my talks, this kid raises his hand and he's like, okay, so if you're a girl, what <laughs> bathroom do you use? Oh my God. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm a girl. So I use the girl's room. And he's like, that's what I thought. <laughs> and that was it. He was like, okay. And like, it just had this one procedural question. You know? <laughs> he's like, I just have to know. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to iron that out. Now we're fine. <laughs> well, so what does it mean to you to be able to tell your stories and like, have you, what has the response been from, you know, the LGBT community? Um, I, you know, so far so good. Gosh, I mean, I, I won an award for the, for the Lumberjanes book about Malamali. That was very nice. That was a very fun thing to have and a a really neat honor to experience because I'd never really won an award before, you know? And, and I think it, the, the book touched a lot of people and that was very rewarding to hear. And I think that, that some people who have read Girlhaven, have been very touched by it as well. So I'm hopeful that when it comes out, people will um, respond to it and it will um, make them laugh and cry because that is obviously the goal of every writer yeah. to control the emotions of strangers. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure we will, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and so this might be a tricky question just because you know we're attached to all of our work, but what has been the most rewarding comic book to work on thus far? Oh my gosh. Okay. I have two answers to that question. Okay. One is like, so like over my whole career, what I think the book that because of the amount of reward it gave me uh, still stands out is House of Mystery, okay. um, which I did with Vertigo. And it started in 2008 and went through 2012, I think. It's 42 issues. Um, it was sort of a horror series based on the old House of Mystery comics. And there was so much of me wrapped up in that story. And so much of me that is in the main character of Fig. And a lot of 
me working out who Fig is, this character, is also me working out who I am as a person and realizing how much I identify with this female character. Okay. Um, and that she is me. That at some point I realized during the writing of the story that I am her, you know? Yeah. And I'm just writing like me in these, all these increasingly insane situations. And, but there's a lot of fun to be had in that book. And one of the really neat things about it was that every issue had a standalone story, like inside of it, that was drawn by a different artist. And so I got to work with so many amazing artists during that time, like Gilbert Hernandez and like Darwin Cook and wow. um, just some of the most incredible, incredible artists. And I mean, it's all, it's all out there. I think it's out of print now. So it'd be very difficult to find, but I will track uh, it you, down. <laughs> if you can find it, it's worth a read. Yeah. And I, I think it's especially fascinating to read knowing that the writer is someone who turned out to be a trans woman. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, like you can sort of see me working it out on the page in retrospect. Anyway, yeah. that said, uh, the thing that is most rewarding to me right now, I think is probably the science of ghosts as I feel like it's one of the best things I've ever written. And I'm, it's the kind of thing that I want to write more of mm-hmm. and I hope I get to write more of. Yeah, I, th- I think, I, you know, I joke around, like if I could just spend the rest of my career writing gay mysteries, I would totally do that. <laughs> and that. if I could, you know, so much the better. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's it's yeah. interesting too, because as a writer myself, I feel like, and I want to know if you agree, there's sometimes a story that you have in your head that at some point you, you're like, I want to write this, but I don't feel ready to write it yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And as you're yeah. saying that the science of ghosts is something you feel like it's the best you've ri- ever written. Do you have other, you know, concepts brewing around in your, in your mind? Like, yeah, I want to write this, but I want to be at this level, you know, for myself before I approach it. There are, you know, I I really want to write Wonder Woman someday. Oh, yes. And I still don't think I'm ready, which is funny because I've been writing comic books for 15 years. Right. Yeah. But I still like, I still think I have like a little more to learn before I could just like, because, you know, I yeah. think every time you go into a thing like that, like if I was going to write a, a superhero book again I'd want it to be like a career defining run mm-hmm. you know yeah like I would pull out all the stops and like swing for the fences on every page I'm not quite ready to do that yet but give me a couple of years we'll see what happens okay I would love that for you <laughs> mm-hmm. I would love that for me too yeah <laughs> that would be amazing to just to hear your perspective and your take on Wonder Woman that would be amazing mm-hmm. yeah what do you um hope to see more of in the comic book industry in the future oh my gosh I, what, what I'm really hopeful for is that we, this is going to sound kind of cliche, but bear with me for a moment. So I I think I want to see more diversity and I want to see it in so many different intersections. You know, I want Mm -hmm. to see comics by black people. I want to see comics by disabled people. I want to see comics by LGBTQ people. I want to see comic books written and drawn by autistic people, people with ADHD. I want to see comics by you know comics by Asian people from different places you know mm-hmm. I want to see the Vietnamese comics and I want to see the Thai comics and I and there's such this huge world out there mm-hmm. and for so long we've limited which voices can be heard and I want those voices to have big platforms you know yeah absolutely I, think, and I, I love that we're seeing more of that now 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's still, I think there's, there's still this sense. And I know it, it's true for me as a, as a trans writer, that when I write something, <clears throat> because there isn't a whole lot of trans media out there, mm-hmm. that in some way, like I feel this pressure, like I'm speaking for trans people, even right. though that's not true. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't speak for all trans people, but you feel that kind of pressure, like, like people are going to read this and go, oh, that's what trans people are like, right? <laughs> right. But like, there's, there is no what trans, like we're all different people. And so I think that there is that pressure still among creators of all different sort of like marginalized identities where you feel like you're sort of representing your whole entire whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it makes you be a little more careful about what you say and do. And so what I want is more diversity so everyone can kind of just like do whatever the hell they want, you know? Yeah. And, and not have to be careful and not have to feel like they're carrying a banner, you know? Mm-hmm. And then everyone gets exciting new stories and everyone wins. Right. And you have all these different perspectives and, and different worlds and characters and yeah, all the readers win and, and the creators win as well. So I like that idea very yeah, much. And I think, I think I like to think of it in, in, in perspective of like, <clears throat> there is, there is bounty, you know, there is like, mm-hmm. there's no limit it's not a zero-sum game mm-hmm. that if we create lots of good stuff then we attract more readers and there's room for everyone to play and everyone to succeed okay. and no one no one gets ends up getting left out and what well, what advice would you give to aspiring writers and specifically lgbtq writers who might be hesitant or unsure of like how to even get started um gosh i think you know my, my advice to anyone is going to be this more or less the same. Although if I were telling it to a queer person, I might use slightly different language, but mm-hmm. I think it would be to, to come out of the gate saying things that only you can say, to, to not try and publish the things that you make at the beginning of your career where you're trying to figure out who you are mm-hmm. and trying to find your voice, but to wait until you own your voice to make a splash. And I, I, there's this uh, sort of things like if you want to make comics, just make comics, right? That's what everyone always says, as professionals always say. It's like, <laughs> and to an extent, I agree with that. You know, everyone should make comics, right? In order to to make comics, that's kind of a <laughs> um, an obvious statement. But I think if you get your like, if you get your break in comics, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I did, I got a big break with DC, and I got to write this book called what was it called? Salvation Run. Okay. Uh, because of a long series of events that happened. And then I, I got offered some other DCU comics, right? And yeah. I wasn't sure of my voice when I was writing those books. And I was like, well, what would, what would Jeff Johns do? <laughs> you know, or like, what would Kurt Busiek do? Like, these, yeah. the people whose work I were like, what, how would they have done this, right? And then yeah. it wasn't until like, I almost was like, completely out of writing superhero comics that I had already found my voice and then I wrote all these great superhero comics that no one ever read because at that point it was they were like we'll put her on the books that are getting canceled so oh my gosh (laughs) um so yeah so I I I wrote a lot of fun series I wrote the last issue of several very fun series but some of those comics were really good because I finally found my voice but I had already kind of shot my shot Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So that's probably not advice you're going to hear every day from a comic book creator, but that's what 
came out of my mouth. Something. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. No, that's good. That's honest <laughs> advice. That's what, you know, I, I like to ask, I, you know, everybody that's in this business, just because you get so many different perspectives and takes on it. And, you know, we do have a lot of listeners that I'm I'm sure are, you know, wanting to be, you know, in your shoes and, and, and have careers in comics. So it's always nice to hear from someone who's achieved success, you know, kind of their little take on, you know, advice in the industry. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I just, I want I, what I want to see and like what I always tell people is like the gift that you bring is your voice, mm-hmm. right? Like there was, a, I forget who it was who said it, but the, uh, it was a, a famous writer once said that every story has already been told. It just hasn't been told by you. Yes. And yes. I think that's really powerful advice that it's, it's, it's in the tale is in the telling and the telling is your voice. The telling is who you are, the perspective that you bring to the table and that people shouldn't be ashamed of their perspective or try to cover up the perspective, but like sing it, you know, yeah, like jubilantly express your perspective, however different uh, or odd, or even however prosaic it might seem. Mm-hmm. Um, because what to you is commonplace is wild to someone else. Yeah. And art is always mm-hmm. in the, you know, eye of the beholder, so to speak. So, you yeah. know, your story can touch a lot of people. And then, you know, there's not going to be everybody that likes, you know, your work is speaking from experience, you know, you get good reviews, you get bad reviews, but what's important is that the people that do like it, like, that's how I always say I'm writing for, for those people. That's the audience mm-hmm. that you're trying to reach is the ones that will connect and, you know, take something away. Yeah, I wouldn't know about that because I've never gotten a bad review, but... Um, of course, you know. Know. you're amazing. <laughs> never, <laughs> never. <laughs> Universally beloved. I know, I know. Yes, mm-hmm. nothing can touch yeah. you. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you are you are extremely talented. So yeah, we're very grateful that you've graced us with your art and your work. Really appreciate it. Melissa, thanks so much. This has been really a treat. Yeah, I know this has been really fun. And before we go, another thing you probably won't be able to answer, but I just saw that you recently tweeted about mm-hmm. some exciting news. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you can hint at at all or is it completely top secret? People might get so mad at me if I said anything at all, but I was like, there are people I know who will be very excited to know a thing that I just found out yesterday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I wish I could say more than that, but I cannot. No problem. Um, I I thought I'd ask, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Our listeners will appreciate it. And, you know, everyone, please go check out the Magician's New Class out now, the Lumberjanes Infernal Compass Trilogy, and keep an eye out for Girl Haven and the Science of Ghosts coming out next year. Lila Sturtis, everyone, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. And you should follow me on Twitter because I tweet a lot of funny, dumb things. Absolutely. I, yeah. I'm going to go check out your Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a blast talking to you. So I'm like, now I need you in my feed. <laughs> Great. Yes, please do. It's like this only like in short bursts. Awesome. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. are back how was that that was really cool man that was a great hour-long interview i mean it was it was got <laughs> great questions in there great answers good conversation i mean i say that because like it's it's just well, I was it gonna sounds say, like you're like that was a great hour-long interview <laughs> <laughs> well 
what, what I meant that by is like it, it wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. It was a good amount of time. And in that time of just an hour, a it lot of conver- a lot of good conversation about you know lumberjanes and Girl Haven. Yeah. And the writing process came out, and it was, it's I love hearing that stuff. Yeah, it's it was a quick hour. You know, it, it always quick, yeah. goes quick when you can tell that people are enjoying talking with each other. This is very true. So very true. All right. Well, kind of like, like how you, kind of like you and I can talk, and all of a sudden, half an hour goes by, and we're like, "That was just like one minute, right?" Right. Right. Especially when doing the intros, outros. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that turned into an episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we just did twenty minutes on an outro. Shit. It's supposed to be five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, oh, guys. Man. I hope you enjoyed that, and if you did, I implore you to go to spoilerverse.com and uh, go check out. What we all of our wares, as they say, there. Yeah. At spoilerverse.com. Because not only can you listen to this episode again, if you so wish, but you can go back to all of our back issues and listen to a plethora of amazing guests and, well, just other episodes of random awesomeness, as one Michael Peacock of Misery Point Radio would say. Yeah, yeah, and you've got 540 episodes so far of us talking, and there's several of uh, just kind of babbling about stuff too, which is a lot of fun. And there's other shows up there. There's uh, articles and reviews and previews, a lot of a lot of stuff up on Spoilerverse.com that you need to go check out, including a web store where you can buy T-shirts or hoodies or face masks. Fly, fly as hell and help support the site, helps support <laughs> everything that we do. Because right now, nothing's behind a paywall. It's all free for you. So the only way you can help us out is either now. through the store link or our Patreon. That's right. That's right. All right, guys. I think that's a show. That's a oh, show. Johnny, don't we have a Discord server now? We do. And if if, if, uh, if they want to listen out there, or not listen, if listeners want to join us and talk to us, they can go to scpod.us slash Discord and join the fun. There you guys go. All right. We are out of here. But don't forget, in an oceans of podcasts. We are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more.